the word for the day, and we just have a handful of words left. Just three words in our one word series before we wrap up this year. The word for this day is Father. And the text, which was read earlier for us, is Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I want to read it again. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. A few weeks ago, when Alex and I did our joint sermon on grief, I mentioned that I only have one living grandparent left. That three of my grandparents have passed away. A grandfather and two grandmothers. And I don't have any regrets about uh, my, the time that I had with them that overlapped with their life. I was blessed to have wonderful relationships with my grandparents. But I do think now that they're gone, that I took their presence in my life for granted. Now that they're gone, I wish that I had taken more time to ask them about their life. To ask them about their childhood. To ask them about challenges that they experienced growing up during the Great Depression. To ask them about challenges that they faced in their marriage or raising kids. I wish that I had gotten them to tell me more stories about what their life has been like. What they were like in school, in middle school and high school. What challenges that they faced or uh, great experiences they, they had in their professional life. With my grandfather who's left with me, I I want this to play out a little differently. I'd like to talk with him more about these types of things. In fact, at Thanksgiving, I asked him, Granddad, tell me about your memories of of, uh, national events. Tell me about what you remember about the notable things that happened in the 20th century. He said, well, I remember as a kid when President Roosevelt came to Chattanooga to dedicate the... uh, the dam that TVA had built. And I remember my parents took me, and I remember standing out there in a long line and waving at the president's motorcade. And I remember picking up, I was a paper boy in the early 1940s, and I remember on that December day of 1941, picking up the paper and seeing Pearl Harbor bombed by the Japanese and feeling very troubled by that. I want to continue having these conversations with my, with my only living grandparent, because I think I took for granted the presence of my other grandparents in my life. I think we take for granted the fact that we can call God our Father. The God who is the divine being who existed before all things, who has forever existed, who will forever exist, The God, the almighty, powerful God who crafted vast galaxies and designed the tiniest organisms on the face of the earth. The God who fashioned the most intricate plants and animals that we can witness on this earth. That God, the the almighty, all-knowing God who is 
always existed and always will, we can call Him Father. We take that for granted. We call Him Father flippantly. We don't think about what a privilege it is to be able to refer to the God of the universe as Father. You know, it hasn't always been this way. Under the old law, Israel was more like a servant or even a slave. And God was viewed more like a master. In Galatians chapter 4, there are at least three occurrences in the first few verses where we see a form of the word slave to describe the relationship that humans had with God before Jesus Christ came on the scene. Yes, in the Old Testament, I know that God was compared to a father. And the Jews, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they were compared to God's children. I think about one example from the psalm, Psalm 103, verse 13, which says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So God in the Old Testament is compared to a father. He was like a father to them. But the difference is, he is a father to us as believers in Jesus Christ. The Jews were servants of God in the Old Testament by obeying the works of the old law. But now the New Testament tells us we are not servants. We're not slaves. We are sons and daughters of God by His grace and through our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Jews... Those who were under the old covenant, who believed in Jesus Christ and who confessed faith in Him, they passed from servanthood to sonship, from being a slave to God to being part of God's family, to being a son or a daughter of God. Now, they were part of God's family before. I'm talking about God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, the Jewish nation. They were part of God's family before, but now through Jesus Christ, if they became believers in Christ, they are really part. Of God's family. I married Lauren over 10 years ago. And when we got married. I became a part of her family. But her dad has made it abundantly clear. That in order for him to view me. As a real part of her family. I got to sort of earn my keep. I got to sort of prove that I deserve. To belong in her family. And that I deserve to be her husband. He's always making jabs at me about how I'm not quite good enough and I'll never be good enough for his baby girl. And you know, I have accepted that it's my responsibility as a son-in-law to prove that I am good enough to, by sticking around and being devoted that I do belong in this family. And you know what? The past year or two, he's sort of dropped a lot of those jabs. So I guess it's worked. I guess Through the years, I have proven my worth to him and the fact that I belong. So when we got married, I was part of Lauren's family. But now I feel like I really am a part of Lauren's family. Lauren's younger brother and his wife were foster parents to a young boy named Levi. They took Levi home from the hospital when he was just a couple days old. And they were the ones who put him to sleep at night. They were the ones who changed his diaper. They were the ones who 
who fed him and, and made sure that he was provided for. He was part of their family. He was part of our family. But it was just a little over a year ago that he really became a part of our family. And Lauren and I were there at the Hamilton County Courthouse when the judge said to Lauren's younger brother and his wife, congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Lusk, Levi is now your son. He was always a part of our family. But on that day, he really became a part of our family. The Jews were a part of God's family. But those who confess faith in Jesus Christ, they really became a part of God's family. They passed from being servants to being sons and daughters of God. And the transition that everybody else made, the non-Jews, the, what the New Testament calls the Gentiles, the Greeks, the outsiders, their transition was even more dramatic, even more remarkable. They passed straight from being strangers and outsiders and foreigners. They are whisked into God's family and they become sons and daughters. We have become sons and daughters. I don't think that we have any Jewish Christians in the house this morning. I think we have a room full of Gentile Christians of people who were outside the commonwealth of God, strangers to His promises. And we have passed from being foreigners, from being distant from God, straight into God's family. And we've been made His sons and daughters. And because of that, we can call God our Father because of Jesus Christ. We can call God our Father. Now, there were some Jews who believed that everybody else, the ones outside of God's chosen nation, the Gentiles, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, and when Jews begin confessing faith in Christ, there were Jews who believed that those who were not Jews had to become Jews in order to become Christians. So in other words, they had to pass through the status of servant or slave on their way to being a son or a daughter. They had to embrace Jewish customs like they had to undergo circumcision, for, for instance. And there were other things as well. But this idea that Gentiles had to become Jews before they became Christians is thoroughly refuted in the New Testament by Paul especially. Paul says circumcision doesn't count for anything. That is, that is a rule that is part of the old law that is no longer important in identifying a person who is truly devoted to God under the new covenant. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Period. Full stop. You don't have to pass through all these rites and rituals of Judaism in order to become a Christian. If you're baptized, if you are under the symbol of baptism, you have been made one with God. You've put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. You're one in Christ Jesus. Baptism is that act of adoption. When we are brought into a new family with God as our Father and with Christ, not only as our Savior, but as our elder brother. And it is the Spirit of Christ who is sent into our hearts that allows us to say, Abba, Father. And all who trust in Christ, no matter their background, 
are brought into a relationship with God that is far superior even to that of Israel before Christ came. Now, it was good then in the way that Israel connected with God. It is infinitely better now through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, God transforms the relationships of all, that all humanity share with Him. So we, if you are a baptized believer, then you've been adopted into God's family. And you can address Him as Abba, Father. Abba. That's not the disco group from the 1970s, by the way. Abba. That is the Aramaic word for an earthly father. It was a tender word. It was an intimate word. And no orthodox Jewish person would ever dream of referring God, referring to God with this word. It would have been viewed as disrespectful. But now through Jesus Christ, God to us is Abba. We are His sons and daughters. And we have been blessed with the opportunity to be able to address Him in this intimate, tender way. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon and this idea of God as Father and us, not as servants and slaves, but as sons and daughters of God, I thought about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal, and how that story of Jesus provides a beautiful portrait of God as Father from Luke chapter 15. You remember the son, he demands his inheritance a bit early and he takes it, goes into a foreign land and blows it on reckless living. And he's there looking longingly at the slop that the pigs are are eating. And that's when Scripture says he comes to himself. And he says, you know what? My dad back home has got servants who've got it better than me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to fall down to my knees and I'm going to say, Dad, I don't deserve to be accepted back in your household as a son. Please take me as one of your servants. And what happens? The boy begins his way home, but the father can see him coming at a distance. His heart is full of compassion for the boy. He runs toward him to greet him, throws his arms around him. The son starts in on the speech that he's rehearsed about, listen, dad, I'm no longer deserving to be called a son. He can't even finish the speech. His dad says to the servants around him, my son has returned home throw a robe over his shoulders, put a ring on his finger, kill the fattened calf, we're going to have a party. Not because I'm accepting him back as a servant or a slave, but because my son has come home. The dad doesn't even consider treating his son as a slave or a servant, even though that's what he deserved. doesn't even cross his mind, even though... This son is gone and done terrible things and and wasted the money that his father gave him. Father doesn't consider referring to him as a servant. He says, my son is home. My son. But here's the problem with us today. Many of us still act like we are servants or slaves of God instead of sons and daughters of God. And here's what I mean by that. Our lives of faith are focused strictly on rule following and law keeping for a master instead of on joyful obedience to a loving father. We are so focused on 
crossing all our T's and dotting all our I's and checking all our boxes in order to earn God's favor. We are acting like servants with the spirit of fear instead of children with the spirit of love. And that's not to say that following the law of Christ is not important. It's extremely important, but we follow it not as a way to prove our worth to God, not as a way as to receive His favor, but as an expression of gratitude for the grace that He's already shown us through Jesus Christ. We must lay aside the shackles of a rule-based system where we are trying our hardest to, to... Make sure we keep all the rules just ever so right so that God doesn't strike us down. And remember that we serve a Father who has already sent His Son to the cross to die for our sins, to make us His children. We've got to start living like sons and daughters, obeying God in a spirit of love instead of slavishly following rules in a spirit of fear. And we've got to remember that we've got a Father who walks through life every step of the way with us. It's the 1992 Summer Olympics, the quarterfinals of the 400-meter sprint. And British athlete Derek Redmond is one of the favorites for the gold medal in this event. A lifetime of training has brought Derek to this very moment. The starter's gun fires, and the athletes burst out of the stocks. Halfway through the race, Derek Redman is leading the pack. And then, quite suddenly, disaster strikes. Derek Redman's hamstring tears, and he collapses on the track. The agony on his tear-streaked face, as the whole audience in the arena can see, is both physical and mental. This is a crushing blow. Medical attendants, they run to assist him, but Derek waves them away. He came to race, and he's going to finish this race. So he gets to his feet. He starts hobbling down the track. The crowd is mesmerized. Officials, they don't know what to do. And then, all of a sudden, an older man, a large man, he appears on the track. And officials are trying to stop him, but he brushes them away. He runs up beside Derek, places his arms around him, This man is no stranger. It's Derek Redmond's father, Jim. And Jim says, Son, you don't have to do this. And Derek Redmond says to his dad, Yes, I do. And his dad says, Well then, we'll finish this race together. And arm in arm, with agony on Derek's face, tears on his father's face, Derek and Jim continue down the track. Derek buries his face in his father's shoulders and His father's strong shoulders carry his son physically and emotionally. Jim, the father, he waves away officials who try to stop them. And finally, accompanied now by a a roaring crowd standing on their feet and applauding, Derek Redmond crosses the finish line. Derek, of course, doesn't win a medal. And most people can't remember who even won the gold medal in that race. Because it's this moment that becomes the defining moment of the Barcelona Olympics. A loving father helping his son finish the race. I'm so thankful that I can call God my father. It's not something that I want to take for granted. 
It's not something I'll, I want to view lightly. It's not something about which I want to forget the importance and the specialness of it. God, through Jesus Christ, is my Father. I'm so thankful I can refer to Him in that way. Are you? I've told this story before. I think it's worth telling again. A well-known preacher talks about a student who was at one of our Christian schools back in the 1970s, a sophomore. And this student, in order to make a few extra dollars, was working in the admissions department, helping do some filing. And the student one day decided to do something he shouldn't have done. He decided to pull his own file, his own admissions file, in order to look at some of his references to see what they said about himself and his character and his academic achievements. So he opens up his file and he sees on the first page that he was adopted. And for whatever reason, his parents never had told him that he was adopted. And he literally drops the file folder to the floor And he runs out and he grabs his keys and he takes off headed towards home, which was about three hours away. Well, some other admissions workers came into the office and they saw the folder and they began to piece together what had happened. So they pick up the phone and they call this boy's parents. And they say, look, we think your son has seen his admissions folder. We think he's discovered that he was adopted and we think he's headed your way. So just be prepared for his arrival. Well, lo and behold, about three hours later, he wheels into his parents' driveway, runs up the steps, swings open the door. His parents are expecting him. They don't know what's going to happen when he gets there. They don't know what his reaction is going to be. But he tearfully confronts his parents. He hugs them and he kisses them. And he says, thank you for adopting me. I never knew you You loved me when you didn't have to. You chose me. I never knew how grateful I should have been for you as my parents. And he hugged them and he kissed them and he thanked them in ways that he never could before because he didn't know. If you're a baptized believer, you should know that you've been adopted into God's family. And that God is your father. And that you are his son or daughter. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. Are you? Have you been adopted into God's family? By being washed by being buried in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, if you haven't become part of God's family, now is your time. You can come forward. You can confess faith in Christ. And you can submit to Him in baptism so that you can become part of God's family, one of His adopted children. Or if your life has gone astray and you need to Recommit yourself to Him. You have the opportunity to do that as well right now as we stand and sing.